We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to a very special bird carcass edition of the quote-unquote expert quote-unquote roundtable. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm the father of a very special lady, the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. And as always, on Friday nights, I am joined by the sharpest hippie in DFS. He rode here on his canoe. It is JM to win. JM, what's going on? I'd like to point out to viewers what a professional Adam is his least favorite holiday he sounded like adam you sounded like a 40 percent version of yourself right before we came on air and then camera comes on and adam's like 100 energy so just bringing the heat i love it 
so shout out to Adam for uh, sustaining life through the worst holiday in history, apparently. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I'm feeling a little burnt out um, a little bit. I haven't regged a lot for this week, uh, mostly because I haven't been able to pay attention to main slate that much. I was uh, heavily invested in the Thanksgiving slate and was kind of uh, stressed about that. But I- I'm probably going to end up playing uh, a decent amount. So I am interested to hear uh, a lot about what you have to say on this slate. I-, I didn't see a ton of very cheap options this week. I think that there are some undervalued players in the mid-range. Kind of my, my first instinct on this slate was that the optimal line of construction or the most common line of construction would be uh, a balanced approach. I don't know if you have seen anything different. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, you know, I try not to pay too much attention to the noise. I know early in the week uh, I did my Monday night pod, and the first thing that stood out to all of us was, you know, pay try to pay down at wide receiver and pay up at running back just because there's no value at, at running back at first glance. We'll get into that in a bit. There's a couple guys I like quite a bit at the lower end um, for upside, and they're kind of questionable in cash games, but – We'll work through that. But uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways you can go on this slate. I think on a slate where the clearest path is is one thing, but it's not necessarily the clear best path, it gives you a lot of freedom to do different things um, in tournaments and whatnot. So uh, yeah, we can get through this. Uh, I'm excited too. I mean, Thanksgiving's a weird week. Like you said, a lot of work for the Thanksgiving slate and then uh, you know time with other things. So this is kind of like buckle down time tonight, tomorrow, and and you know, I always get a clear read on things after we do our show. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I think I have slight connectivity issues uh, here in, in New England, right on the beach. So hopefully you guys can hear me. All right. And we'll see what we learn tonight. Yeah, you, you sound good real quick before we get into it. Uh, you didn't actually eat Turkey, right? Do you have like some substitute Turkey that you ate? I did eat Turkey. Oh no. Uh, so I, I, you know, it was worse was sugar. Cause I don't usually eat a lot of sugar. So I, I eat, I usually eat fish is the only meat I eat, but lean meat doesn't bother my stomach. So I, I dipped into the turkey a little bit, had a, maybe a, a quarter of a serving just for tradition's yeah. sake. But I mean, uh, yeah, I feel like trash right now. I, I If you're going to like break your no meat rule, the worst thing to do is break it on some like thick, dry, like disgusting turkey. But anyways. Uh... No, you know what? I actually broke it in Nashville too, uh, eating leftover chicken off of Derek Cardi's plate. Oh. Uh, which is, I'd realized I hadn't really eaten anything all day. And who do you think broached the subject of, Cardi, are you going to finish all that? Can we eat it? Silva. You, you got a guess from that voice? <laughs> yeah, Silva. Uh, your boy, Evan Silva. Uh, so we, we picked up some chicken as well. So I've, uh, I've had some good, uh, bad lean meat the last few days. All right. Um, let's get into this slate. We'll start the quarterback position. As always, we're referring to DraftKings scoring and DraftKings roster construction. I think if you don't realize the massive differences between DraftKings and FanDuel, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. So we are referring to DraftKings scoring, DraftKings pricing here at the quarterback position below 6K. I did not see a ton to chew on, but my favorite play, I think, at the quarterback position or one of my favorite plays at the quarterback position He's below 6K. I have no idea if he's chalk or not. I have no idea if other people are talking about him or not. But I believe that Jacoby Brissett is set up really well in a home game against the Titans, who have turned into a funnel defense once again, just like they were last year. Expect a pass-heavy game plan. Uh, uh, Colts are on a long week playing at home uh, on their turf where T.Y. Hilton 
have performed really well. And we've seen Jacoby Brissett have these huge games when he's had good matchups, uh, tore through the Browns, tore through the 49ers, tore through the Texans. Um, so that's my favorite quarterback play under 6K. I have no idea uh, if other people are on it. Did you look at Brissett and what do you think? Uh, that's what you bring to the table, right? You're supposed to have all the the pulse on the industry, what's going on. Uh, I'm a mess. Seemingly throwing us off. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I actually, I'll dip deeper than that um, to a couple puke-worthy, three puke-worthy plays, but I think they're all viable. Uh, with how little value there is, I think they're potentially viable in cash. The only thing that throws a wrench in it is that I think Russ Wilson can get like 30 points. And I don't want to pay... I think there's some cheap guys who can get us 14 to 18 points, um, which if they get that and the expensive guys get 22, I'm happy. I'm thrilled. Uh, if they get that and Russ gets 30, then we're in tough shape. But I do think C.J. Beathard against a Seattle team um, that, you know, the 49ers are still first in pace of play, first in passing play percentage. Adam's shaking his head. But um, against a team missing their two best players in the secondary, Beathard has been putting up consistently putting up 14 plus points uh paxton lynch again shake your head some more at that but no, against I, oakland I, uh and you got uh bill musgrave y- you bring in a new coordinator the only thing they're going to do is simplify everything so what they want to do is give him basically they're going to try to get him two reads on the same side of the field every play to give him easy decisions uh scheme guys wide open short quick passes uh i think that he can pile up points again these are all like risky plays but i think that they're all viable um definitely in tournaments possibly even in cash depending on how much risk you want to take on uh salary savers and then uh trubisky against the eagles who have faced by far the most pass attempts and by far the fewest rush attempts in the nfl trubisky's gonna throw it 35 times he's gonna pick up 40 yards on the ground um i believe the eagles have given up the six most rushing yards to quarterbacks so i think they're all viable uh Brissett, i like Brissett. i have more respect for the Tennessee pass defense than just about anyone else does. And we'll get to that when we get to T.Y. Hilton. Uh, I do think that Brissett is a high upside play. I think he's a great tournament play. I think his floor is lower than most people will assume. So I'll kind of stop there and just say, I do think that his upside is high. I think his chances of hitting his upside are a little bit lower than most will assume. So ownership will probably climb higher than, than where I want to go on him, but I like the play in general. My problem with Beathard and Trubisky is you're talking about like not only really shaky low floor quarterbacks, but also like atrocious weapons. You know what I mean? And at least Paxton Lynch has Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas and Paxton Lynch is somewhat athletic. They're encouraging him to run. Uh, I know Vance Joseph came out this week and said, hey, listen, we want Paxton Lynch to run. And Paxton Lynch is 4,400. I don't even know what Beathard and Trubisky are. I assume that they're more, but 4,400. 46, yeah. I mean, 4,400 is, is crazy, crazy cheap for a starting quarterback in, uh, I think we would say, the best matchup or one of the best possible matchups in Beathard and, and Trubisky are in, I think, difficult matchups. I mean, you can say what you want about volume, but an efficiency standpoint, Trubisky and Beathard, I think, uh, are going to be poor. Uh, I would probably feel a little bit better about um, Beathard than Trubisky, but I think Paxton Lynch, out of those three kind of puke options that you mentioned, is pretty clearly uh, my favorite. Um, one other guy under 6K that we didn't bring up uh, is Tyrod Taylor back in the saddle uh, going to Kansas City. This Kansas City pass rush is hashtag bad now. Um, they're just getting no pressure on the quarterback whatsoever. And also their corner situation opposite Marcus Peters is just a total disaster. 
We know Tyrod Taylor has like a 4.5 point rushing uh, expectation every week. So I think Tyrod at 5,800 is okay. The problem is once you start creeping into that high 5K range, then you have guys like, you know, Matt Ryan and Marcus Mariota and Andy Dalton or whatever else you want uh, in the 6K range. So um, Tyrod would probably be more of a strict GPP play for me. Um, Anything on Tyrod and do you have any favorites in the 6K range? Yeah, you kind of like spelled out my thoughts exactly was uh, I said in my article this week, well, first off with Tyrod, my, my one main concern outside of it being on the road at Arrowhead, obviously we know he plays a lot better at home, but um, it's just that they really don't throw the ball downfield. The, the bills are really a short passing team. The chiefs have allowed the lowest completion rate in the NFL. The issue isn't that they like, it's just easy to complete passes. The issue is all the big plays. So those are going to be tougher to come by. Um, and what I said was like, yeah, I like Tyrod, but then when you look at him at 58, you're like, okay, but I could get up to Dalton at 6K or Mariota at 6,300. And then once you get to Mariota at 6,300, you're like, Russell Wilson, 7K. So I, I like Dalton a lot. Obviously, I think by now people know I'm higher on the Browns defense than most people are. They've allowed the eighth fewest yards in the NFL. Um, the issue with the points is just all the turnovers. So the turnovers are going to be there. Bengals are going to force turnovers. Uh, Dalton will have short fields to work with, but you're probably looking at 240 yards and you hope you get those four touchdowns again. Mariota, I think it's just a phenomenal spot. Um, You know, it's just, he's not their whole offense. Like Russell Wilson is for Seattle and I have concerns on him too, but um, I just, I like Mariota is my favorite in this range. I like him more than Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is constantly, I think it's, four out of his last five games under 30 pass attempts. Um, Steve Sarkeesian is just a complete dunce. And while I love the matchup, I can't trust it as much as I can trust um, some of these other guys. So I'll go Mariota in that range as my favorite. Um, I'm assuming that's where you're landing as well. Yeah. I mean, I always love Marcus Mariota. I, I think I'm higher on Matt Ryan in this spot than you probably. I mean, even if you have a dunce coach, even if you've underperformed a lot of the year, like, home in the dome against Tampa like it's not going to get much better uh than that so at 6400 um I'm certainly intrigued by Matt Ryan but yeah Andy Dalton uh although he's often struggled in the division like not against the Browns he's torn apart um the Browns so I don't know maybe Jason McCourty makes a big enough difference there where you want to be like I'll just find the three or four hundred to get to Merritt or Ryan um before we get to Russ any thoughts on Cam and Breeze, um, both going on the road. Uh, both, I think, would say probably middling matchups. Uh, there are injuries in the Rams uh, secondary. I have Cam and Breeze more as GPP plays than cash game options. Do you have any thoughts on them? Yeah, Breeze is just uh, – he's never a guy that you'll say is a bad play. He's not the – you know, on paper, he's below a lot of these other guys. You can always just justify a shot on him in tourneys. Cam Newton is is basically Tyree Kill or Melvin Gordon right now. Um, there's nothing we can even look at in the matchups to say this is a spot where Cam will do well. This is a spot where he will do poorly. It's not dependent on the matchup so much as which version of Cam Newton shows up. So I think you can always take a shot on him in tournaments for 30-plus points. Obviously, his floor is like 12 points. So – Cam is is not a guy I'm focused on. He's not a guy I like because I like uh, 
uh, higher expectation. I like more certainty than that, but I think both guys are very fine in tournaments for sure. Yeah. I think the difference with Cam lately is like, he's running nine to 10 times a game consistently now back to like where he was in 2015. And anytime you get nine to 10 rushes from Cam Newton, it's like, man, um, that provides you a think a pretty high floor, but yeah, it's just an okay matchup. Um, all right. The two guys in the seven K range, everybody's going to want to roster may not be able to afford is Russ Wilson with the state of their defense. As you mentioned with the state of their run game, which is a stone disaster. It is all, on Russ. Uh, everything is on Russ. He's 7K. Tom Brady, we know it is likely to be a blowout against the Miami Dolphins. Tom Brady is 7,700. Um, I don't, I think Tom Brady's ownership will stick around maybe like the 10 to 12% range just because he's so expensive. Um, I doubt we'd be paying for Tom Brady in cash, but do you see viability to paying for Tom Brady in tournaments even at 7,700? I like Brady uh, slightly less than I like Russ. I love both guys. I think that they're one and two and in whatever order you want to put them for raw point expectations. Um, My concern with Russ. So here's the thing. Russ is their whole offense, right? You know that. I know that 90% of the DFS population knows that Daryl Bevel has no idea. And I've (laughs) talked for weeks about how reactive this Seattle team is. So they have scored in their, I believe it's their last four games. They've scored between 14 and 41 points. All of those games have been between three and six point games. Like they play every game close and they play to their opponent. These aren't 41 to 38 games because the Seahawks decided to open things up. These aren't 14 to 17 games because the Seahawks just like the Seahawks just try to run the ball. They're complete idiots. So I have genuine, like, I think if you roster Russ, do not even look at scoring until almost halftime or halftime. Like after Russ gets that, you know, two minute or four minute drill, because they're going to try to run the ball the first quarter and Russ is going to have four passes and one carry something dumb like that. So like it pisses me off. I'm concerned about San Francisco's weapons and the viability, as you pointed out of them actually putting up points. Um, So I I'm, I'm genuinely concerned about Russ, but you know, he's shown a floor of 18 points lately and a ceiling of like 39 or whatever. I mean, you, the only way for them to move the ball is with Russell Wilson throwing, running the ball. So I'm a little bit concerned. Um, obviously he's the best on paper play, but that's why I'm just as fine going with Tommy as I am with, with Russ in this spot. And one thing about the 49ers is they continue to play very fast, despite having an atrocious secondary, I believe they're up to third in neutral situation pace. Like, they're going to play fast, um, which is crazy considering the talent level that they have on defense and in their secondary. So I think that's why San Francisco often sets up well. Uh, road favorites in the division is usually not a spot I like to attack um, with the road team. So that would be another cause for pause on Russ. But, but man, I mean, I always love Russ. Um, appears he's back not having sex again, which I think is good. Dak is having like full-on orgies now based on the way that that he's been playing lately. So... So, yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, I think on this slate, I'm probably going to have to find a way to pay down. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find my way to Russ uh, in cash, but we will certainly see. Anything else uh, at the quarterback position? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously it's it's whatever. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. But I think we've covered the actual best plays, the sharpest plays, and uh, anything else from there is just branching out and hoping something works out. 
All right. Below 5K at the running back position is extremely thin. Uh, I will bring up one guy who I think continues to be overrated. But um, I mean, look, uh, Joe Mixon has been bad in the NFL. Uh, His offensive line is uh, bad. He has uh, underperformed even relative to his offensive line. I think, but when you get a ton of short fields against Cleveland, you have chances to fall into the end zone, like the Latavius Murray syndrome. Um, I don't expect Joe Mixon to be very efficient against a good Browns run defense, but I do expect game flow to be in his favor. And I expect him to get uh, 15 to 20 touches at 4,400. And hopefully I would assume um, that a lot of those will be short fields based on the absolute ineptitude of Deshaun Kaiser, which continues to just, uh, boggle the mind. So uh, when I first looked at Joe Mixon, I was like, uh, he sucks. Their offensive line sucks. And the Browns have run good defense. Forget it. But then I started to look more at the slate. And I was like, well, we have to consider a guy 4,400 for 20 touches with possibly a lot of red zone work. So what do you think about Mixon and below the 5K range at running back? Mixon's in the same bucket as Corey Coleman in that you don't want to play them in this matchup, but the workload and the lack of strong value plays, it's justifiable. I don't, I, I wouldn't go near him in cash games. I think it's justifiable in tournaments. I'll give you one that's, I think, a better cash game play. Uh, that's Devontae Booker. So Booker outsnapped C.J. Anderson last week. Musgrave said that Booker deserves more work. Uh, Roto World didn't blurb that quote from Musgrave and because of that no one really saw it um I've not seen a single person bring up Booker I've not seen any hype around Booker but um this is a dude who should I mean Jamal Charles was kind of phased out last week he should get 15 plus touches and could get more than that in an excellent matchup against Oakland good pass catching back so I think Booker is totally viable uh and then in tournaments JD McKissick got 50 snaps last week and I know that Mike Davis went down. Thomas Rawls was inactive, but you know, Eddie Lacy got what three carries for two yards and they're bringing back, back Rawls this week, but Mike Davis is going to be out. I mean, what are they going to do? Um, obviously I would prefer this game to be against a team like Atlanta. They could turn in a, a 34, 31 game. But again, you talked about the volume of plays. I think that McKissick is totally viable in tourneys. Um, he's averaging, uh, I think like 4.4 yards per carry compared to, 2.5 and 2.6 for Lacey and Rawls. So you'd think at some point, maybe after um, Daryl Bevel is is dead and gone, someone will realize that this was the guy they should have been giving the ball to more. Um, but I like it. And then, uh, you know, last week you texted me on Sunday about what I called the cheat code, which was Crowell and Duke Johnson together, playing them like a single high-priced running back. Um, and I, I usually I would argue that the roster spot is just – more valuable than doing that but uh, last week I didn't feel tremendously confident in any of the high-priced running backs and this week there's not a lot of value so this is one more that last week you know before they have Coleman and Josh Gordon to throw to that I'm willing to go there uh, together treat them as one high-priced running back four plus points in six of the last eight games Um, it's the only way for the Browns to move the ball I know they're they're idiots they don't know what they're doing. Hugh Jackson is like, I mean, he's a guy that we used to like when he was with the Bengals. We used to call him a talent optimizer. He was a guy that we felt strongly about. I think he's just in over his head as a head coach. But um, but I do think that Crowell and Duke Johnson is, once again, a viable way to expose yourself, you know, probably to 24 to 31 points uh, and treat it as one high-priced running back and just say, look, there's my value. 
and I'm hoping for 25 to 30 and, and move forward from there. Yeah, I think this Bengals defense is um, has a chance to play really well against the Browns. So I'm not sure I would make that play this week. When you said cheat code last week, I thought you were referring to playing uh, Bruce Ellington and Crowder together. I thought that was the cheat code. I got I, I got confused on what the cheat code was last week. Yeah, I mean, I, and and for me, so here's the thing, though, like the Bengals are they've allowed the third most running back receptions. Mm-hmm. They've allowed the 10th most rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Teams really don't pass on the Bengals. Um, and when they do, they throw to the running back. So I just think that it's the it's the track record. It's, you know, coming into last week, it was six out of seven games that they'd scored 24 plus, but now it's six out of eight games. Um, but even that, like you're locking in a bad game from those two combined is like 18 points. And there's a lot of high priced running backs who could end up with 12 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm fine spending that salary there. Um, to be clear, I, I break it down in the NFL edge this week for anybody who wants deeper thoughts on that, but I don't think it's viable in the Millie maker where you got to finish first place out of 200,000 entries. But um, I finished top 0.5% of tournaments last week with those two guys combining for what, like 19 points. Um, so I think anything under 10,000 entries, it's a, uh, it's a totally viable, I got 30 X my investment, you know, with those two together, I think it's a totally viable play um, for the salary that it opens up. Uh, one other guy under 5K who was the mega chalk last week and is in kind of a similar situation, but nobody is on him, I'm sure, is Rex Burkhead uh, at 4,300. He was like 40% owned uh, last week. I don't think his usage last week was that bad. He got six targets. He did fumble, um, which I think caught him some time on the pine, but I don't really see a role change for Rex Burkhead. Um, just as kind of like a bounce back play. I mean, we saw that with so many guys last week who were the chalk in week 10 um then they failed and then nobody played him in week 11 such as jordan howard such as marvin jones do you see any bounce back appeal for rex burkhead yeah i hadn't thought much about it just because i don't uh like trying to figure out the patriots backfield and i feel like we can lock in Dion lewis as the guy to get 12 to 15 carries but um but yeah i like that call in tournaments i mean for anybody who liked burkhead last week there's literally no reason to like him less this week um i didn't like burkhead last week so i won't be there but um for anybody if you liked burkhead last week everything still sets up the same like adam said i think that's a really sharp call in tournaments all right let's talk about who i expect who everybody expects to be the most owned player on the slate uh with Devonte freeman being ruled out due to his concussion tevin coleman will certainly be the feature back teron ward hashtag team preseason will mix in um, DraftKings has normally done like a very aggressive job of pricing up backups in these kind of situations. They kind of half-assed it a little bit on Tevin because he's not cheap, but he's not expensive. But I still think he's at a price at 6,500 where he'll just be massively owned. Uh, is Tevin Coleman in a home game against the Bucks good chalk or bad chalk at say 40%, 45%? I really don't know, you know, and this is like, I hate to say that, like, that's not what we're here to say, but I I am so confused by this Atlanta offense. So um, Tevin Coleman has five catches in his last six games. And you say, okay, but Devontae Freeman gets the the pass game work now. Combined, they are averaging three catches per game in their last five games. Um, That concerns me. Like, I don't want to pay 6,500 for two to three catches. That's not what I'm here for. If I'm paying up, I want, uh, and you know, you know, I, I, we talked about this briefly right before the show, but just at, up until week seven or eight last year, people laughed at anyone who paid up 
for high priced running backs consistently. Like it was the most fish move because you could get those same touches for cheaper. And then uh, Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson changed the game with, with eight or nine catches each week that you're like, man, I can get all these catches and the carries. There's nobody doing that. So Tevin Coleman is a fine play. It will, it surprise me if he gets 20 points. Absolutely not. Like I would, I would totally like, yeah, that's expected. Would it surprise me if he gets 10 points? Absolutely not. So that's my concern. Like I might end up with Tevin Coleman. I might not. Um, I just think that we need to think deeper, like each individual needs to think deeper into it. Like, okay, let's not just, let's not just auto think through this and be like, oh, this guy's going to get all the work we have to play him, but think this guy's going to get probably three catches. That's what the track record shows uh, and 20 carries. Do I want three catches and 20 carries against Tampa Bay? So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts if you get three catches and 20 carries there? Uh, yes, three catches and 20 carries at 6,500 for a player I think is pretty talented in Tevin Coleman. Uh, yes, I think part of the issue why we haven't seen uh, – pass game usage out of the running backs is just like play volume. Like the Falcons just aren't running enough plays. I think they're like 28th or 29th in plays per game. Like they just haven't been sustaining drives um, against this Tampa defense, which is one of the league's worst in terms of pass rush, one of the league's worst in terms of defending wide receivers. Uh, I think they will sustain more drives. So yeah, you know, anytime like a running back or really anyone is going to get into the 50% range in tournaments, you can make a good fake, good case for a fade, especially when they're up over 6K. But um, I don't know. I'm probably not going to try to overthink it too much. I, I, I do not understand what you're saying. I mean, um, I don't know. It, it's a tough call. The other thing about the, the fading Coleman is like running back is not great this week. So right. from a position scarcity standpoint, I think people are just going to end up defaulting the Coleman. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, back-to-back games, 20 carries and, and, one catch and one was against Seattle. Sure. Fine. But the other was against Dallas, you know, and he got 15.8 points. I guess I'm happy with 15.8 points, but like if he's going to be 40% owned in tournaments, I'm also fine trying to find somebody who I think can get 30. And I, uh, to be clear, I think Coleman can get 30. I just, I don't think it's locked in. Um, I think he could also get 12 or 13. So I'm a little more concerned than most will be. I might end up on him. I don't, I don't really know at this point. Uh, I think maybe one of the only strong plays in the 5K range is Carlos Hyde, who um, continues to see massive pass game usage. He's 5,500. I believe his price might be depressed due to DraftKings adjusting for Seattle, which I'm not certain we should be adjusting for anymore, given the state of their defense. So Carlos Hyde is like kind of popping in um, kind of some of the modeling stuff. How do you feel about him? Yeah, I mean, I think his floor is the same as Coleman's. um, And I think his ceilings about the same. Like, I, I think he's a very similar play as far as you throwing all these catches he's getting. Um, I think he's a, a really strong, um, you know, play to bring back if you're using Russell Wilson. Cause if you're using Russ, you're saying Seattle's going to score points. And if Seattle puts up points, the 49ers throw the ball a ton to Carlos Hyde when they're behind. So uh, yeah, I would love to get those eight, nine, 11 targets for Carlos Hyde while everybody else is paying 1K more for three or four targets for Tevin Coleman. Um, I love I love Carlos Hyde this week. All right, up in the top range, there is Todd Gurley in a home game against a depleted Saints defense. There is LaShawn McCoy going on the road to Arrowhead. There is Mark Ingram going on the road to the Rams. There is Kareem Hunt uh, in somewhat of a bounce back spot at home against the Bills team, which has been absolutely shredded by the run since trading Marcel Darius. And there's Alvin Kamara, who 
continues to uh, be the hottest back in the entire league. Uh, is anybody popping out to you in that high-priced range? For me, it's the game in L.A., the uh, Gurley, Ingram, and Kamara. I love all three of them. Um, you know, if salary weren't an issue, I would roster all three guys. I think I rank them uh, for raw points probably. Gurley, then Ingram, then Kamara. The Kamara being at the bottom is just because, you know, touches are likely to be lower uh, as they've been most weeks. But I'm fine rearranging that in any order. Um, LaShawn McCoy, the chiefs have allowed the fewest uh, rushing yards of 20 plus yards. So they've been like, they're giving up constant chunk gains, but not these huge runs. Uh, I like McCoy. That's just, uh, you know, a slight drawback Kareem hunt. I like, I mean, the bills have been the by far the worst run defense in the NFL the last three weeks, uh, allowing 5.5 yards to carry nine rushing touchdowns allowed in three games. Um, so, you know, like cream hunt a lot. Um, and yeah, then, then the only other guy up there is Fournette, who's obviously uh, a step below all those guys when you factor in matchup. But I think from a game theory play in tournaments, he's fine. Yeah. I think cream hunts usage has been fine. Like the overall kind of poor play of not only uh, Alex Smith lately, but also like the Kansas city defense has been so underwhelming lately. They just like keep setting up cream hunt with like these really long fields. He has no red zone opportunities. They're just not string together drives. They're just not playing well. And like Cream Hunt's been playing awesome. His usage has been okay, like fine. Um, they're just like not putting him in the positions to score well. If you think that Kansas City can play really well and the defense steps up uh, against the Bills, Cream Hunt, I think will have a big game. So um, yeah, I, I like Gurley uh, a lot too. He is the most expensive one in this group. You definitely, you think Gurley over uh, Ingram, even at 500 more. Uh, for raw points, I mean, I think that I think I'm likelier to end up with Ingram because expectations are close enough between the two that um, that I'm fine rolling with Ingram if, if I want to use that 500 elsewhere. But um, but yeah, I mean, with Ingram, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of a, a, a toss up like 45, 55, even with the arrange them in raw points in that order. So, yeah, uh, but Gurley, just so many red zone touches obviously Ingram same thing but um but yeah I mean Gurley is just dominating workload he's first in the NFL and carries inside the five second and carries inside the 10 second and carries inside the 20 um locked in pass game volume um Robert Woods is out I, just, I think there's a lot to like there anything off the board we already went off the board a little bit anything else off the board at running back no I mean I think uh, if I'm going down cheap I'm going Devontae Booker um in tournaments considering J.D. McKissick, considering uh, pairing the Browns running backs together. But um, we've hit on the things that, that are standing out to me uh, at running back. All right, let's move to wide receiver. I think we should start with uh, the biggest injury of the week, which is Robert Woods. Um, I think so, like, there's two questions. A, do you think Cooper Cup will move out of the slot and play in more two wide receiver sets? And B, do you think that he will see an increased target share? If so, he's an awesome play, uh, even though Kenny Vaccaro will be back, the slot defender for the Saints. And B, or C, I guess, do you think Sammy Watkins will move to the right side at all? Because I think, like, people have shown, people smarter than me have shown that Jared Goff, like, one of the reasons that Robert Wood's target share is so high compared to Sammy Watkins is because Goff literally can't go left, like uh, Funkhauser's nephew in uh, – in curves so uh like Sammy Watkins hasn't had more than five targets since like week two uh everybody assumes that's going to change 
with Robert Woods out. I guess my question is, uh, will they move Sammy Watkins around the formation and play some of Robert Woods' role? Uh, either way, no Ken Crawley and no Marshawn Lattimore for the Saints. I mean, this is setting up as kind of a perfect storm with the way the injuries have broke on both sides for both Cup and Sammy Watkins. So do you have takes on this Rams uh, situation? We expect them to be high owned. Yeah, the Lattimore and Crawley news came out today, so I'm still kind of processing all of that. The uh, with with Woods out, so first off, expectations for targets. I don't think it changes a ton. Um, Goff has been up over 37 pass attempts in uh, a couple straight games. That's when Woods' volume has really risen. The against a New Orleans team that's far better attacked on the ground. Um, I expect them to keep Goff under 30 pass attempts as they had for most of the season. They're 29th in passing play percentage. So, you know, if he drops from 37 passes to 27, there goes Woods, 10 targets right there. So I don't think that the distribution among the rest of the guys changes that much. Uh, I think Cup stays in the slot. I think, you know, we see Farrell Cooper or or Mike Thomas or whoever they're going to put on the other side. And then Sammy Watkins, I really don't know. I I think we're guessing. I think that uh, we've seen that, McVeigh is using Watkins as a deep threat. He's using him as his Deshaun Jackson. Um, his A dot is in the top six or seven in the NFL. That's how they're wanting to use him. So I, I mean, I genuinely think we're completely guessing. If he's going to be chalk, uh, Watkins is a pretty easy guy for me to fade. I think that ownership percentage projections is something to pay attention to leading up to the week because we are 100% guessing. Um, and anytime when you're 100% guessing that makes that guy a high variance play. Like if Watkins stays in the same role, nobody would want him. Um, and sure, he could still go off for a splash play, but not at high ownership. You don't want him. So I think that there's a chance that they get him more involved. Uh, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and maybe we get a little more clarity by tomorrow. But um, with, with the news we have right now where we're just guessing and saying, yeah, I think Watkins, whatever, uh, I, I'm fine staying away from him. Um, because you know, he could very well end up in the same role, same target share. Um, I don't expect Goff to throw more than 30, 31, 32 times. So I don't think his target expectation changes a whole lot this week. Um, one other injury at the wide receiver position, Rashard Matthews was limited on Thursday, sat out on Friday. They are calling him a game time decision. He says he thinks he'll be able to play. Um, I do not know if he'll be able to play or not. So let's talk about Corey Davis from two different perspectives. Corey Davis, if Rashard Matthews is in. Corey Davis, if Rashard Matthews is out. Corey Davis is up to 4,900, which is a little more than I'd like to play pay for a guy who has shown a bit of a struggle to separate. Um, but this is a pretty good matchup, and um, he is an extremely talented player. So where do you come down on Corey Davis? Yeah, Corey Davis was one of my favorite plays even before there was any Rashard Matthews news he's been kind of a a cash game staple for me he's been my Jamison Crowder of of this week or my Sterling Shepard of this week is just a guy that uh, I'm gravitating toward on almost every roster I build obviously that could change by Sunday but right now that's where I'm at that's where I've been since Monday Um, Indianapolis allows as we all know the most plays of 20 plus yards Um, this is a Tennessee team that struggles to get deep passing going you know they're like 23rd in in big plays but um, Mariota threw 30% of his passes at least 15 yards downfield against this team when they played earlier in the season so I think that they're going to get some targets going downfield Um, a lot of people have asked me about uh, whether I'm concerned about Rashawn Melvin who has played really well this year at corner but um, you know I, I think 
Ed, uh, Adam, you and I have talked about this and, and Evan and I were talking about this in Nashville. Just we freak out so much about good corners. Uh, we were talking about the Delvin Bro thing a couple of years ago. Like what a corner can be good. If, if a team doesn't have a pass rush, it really doesn't matter. Um, so there it would have it would take like a really good corner who had just been shutting down guys for me to be concerned um, about eight to 10 targets for 4,900. And I think that whether Richard Matthews plays or not, we're looking at at least eight targets for Corey Davis. So uh, I think he's an excellent play this week. He's one of my favorites. Um, and then right below him, I like, I like Kenny Stills quite a bit as well with Matt Moore starting. Uh, Matt Moore has, has shown a tendency to target Stills uh, over Devontae Parker. So I think that that's a good place as well in a likely blowout, uh, a lot of passing volume from the Dolphins. Uh, one play, if you're following the flow chart of attacking the Cardinals opposite of Patrick Peterson, I expect it this week to be D.D. Westbrook. Keelan Cole will be in the slot. Uh, D.D. Westbrook came off of IR slash return, made his NFL debut last week, ran 21 routes on Blake Bortles, 33 dropbacks, had a fumble, uh, dropped a pass, but still caught three balls for 36 yards on six targets. Like, uh, this dude is a baller. Uh, absolutely went ham at Oklahoma. Went ham in the preseason. Um, I am tempted to probably play more D.D. Westbrook than I should this week. So anything on D.D. Uh, and anybody else below 5K? Yeah, the only concern for me is that Arizona has been better against number two and number three receivers lately. They're still struggling in the slot, which is where Keelan Cole will primarily be um but Tremont Williams has been playing well um so I don't think it's just like this cake matchup that it was when Justin Bethel was in there but we still have um it, I think we can very comfortably peg six targets as D.D. Westbrook's floor uh he played limited snaps last week they were easing him in I believe he played 34 snaps compared to 45 for Keelan Cole they are going to get the ball to him when he's on the field. Um, so if they got him six targets when he played about half the snaps, they're going to get him six targets in this game against Arizona. So I think D.D. Westbrook is, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, he could blow up. He could post 30 points. Um, he's not going to get the 200 yards he predicted last week, but um, but he could, he could genuinely post like a monster game. And I, I really think his floor is – seven eight nine points i don't think you're going to get a complete dud from him so i i like him quite a bit at 3600 um i think he and and Corey davis are my favorite plays under 5k uh at wide receiver yeah Corey coleman i projected for eight targets at 4300 in a tough matchup at least worth considering and with calvin benjamin hurt and jordan matthews banged up uh, we've seen zay jones play a lot better lately i think he's in play uh at 4k you mentioned kenny stills Let's move up a little bit here into the 6K range. You mentioned you had some concerns on T.Y. Hilton. I do think he will be popular. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Devin Funches with Curtis Samuel out, I think will be somewhat popular. Jarvis Landry has been playing so well lately, I think will be popular. Uh, so talk to me about T.Y. Hilton and anything else in the 6K range. Would you say that all these guys are overpriced? Um... I mean, I don't know, like Alshon seeing like often six to seven targets and just scoring a ton. I think he has like three touchdowns on his last 12 catches. Um, T.Y. Hilton has all these two to four point games. I don't know. It's just it's tough, man, the, the way they priced guys this week. Um, so my concern with T.Y. Hilton, Tennessee has allowed uh, the third most wide receiver catches. Right. Great. But 
they've allowed the fewest plays of 20 plus yards. Like no team in the NFL has allowed fewer plays of 20 plus yards. Uh, T.Y. Hilton ranks 10th in the NFL in that category, most plays of 20 plus yards. Uh, of players in the top 10, only Robbie Anderson has relied on the big play for more of his production than Hilton has. Um, so a huge chunk of Hilton's production comes from these monster plays. Um, and, you know, Dick LeBeau, for whatever talent concerns you want to have with the Titans secondary, Dick LeBeau is a very sharp defensive coordinator. He's like 90 years old. He's been around the block. Um, and that's why T.Y. Hilton had one catch or whatever it was, two catches last time these teams played. You know, he, he built everything to take Hilton out. Now, obviously, the Colts are going to counter this week and try to scheme T.Y. Hilton the ball, scheme him open. But um, obviously, Hilton is going to be their focus. Uh, there's a reason why. Dante Moncrief had his most catches, most yards of the season in this matchup last time was because they couldn't throw to T.Y. Hilton. So uh, if he were going to be low owned, I think uh, he has this monster 30 plus point upside. If he were going to be low owned, I would be more inclined to play him. Uh, if he's high owned, I'm more inclined to fade him. Um, obviously, while I'm saying that, I need to say he can put up 30 plus points. So if you want to play him at high ownership, go for it. But just his expectations of getting that are slightly lower in this spot than they, they would be in other spots. Um, that's really my concern for Hilton this week. Yeah. I will say as a counter, and I, I hear what you're saying that the Titans have played a pretty soft quarterback pass game schedule, right? Like they've played Bortles. They've played um, the Dolphins. They've played the Colts. They've played the Browns. They've played the Ravens. They've played the Bengals. They obviously got lit on fire by the Steelers on national television last week. So uh, I, I think I like Hilton more than you, but I totally understand the concerns. Um, well, and and last time that you taught that I talked down T.Y. Hilton, and then you gave a counterpoint was Week Nine against Houston when he put up thirty-seven and a half, and the time before that was Week Five against San Francisco when he put up twenty-seven point seven. So, yeah. to be clear, I mean I could be completely wrong on this. I have I'm zero for two on this conversation so far this year, but. Um, <laughs> I do think it's worth having some concerns. Yeah, I mean, my bankroll is zero for two on those weeks. So. The Texans, uh, the Texans game, he was forty nine hundred. Now he's sixty seven hundred. So obviously, there's a huge difference there. Uh, let's move to the seven K range. Uh, Doug Baldwin is pretty clearly uh, a very strong play at seven K. Brandon Cooks was um, such a smash play last week. I don't see any reason why he should not be this week with Chris Hogan out. Once again, Michael Thomas continues to see some of the most consistent volume in the league. Uh, Mike Evans, I think his ceiling is lowered without Jameis Winston, but he's 7,400. And then the guy that uh, we certainly need to talk about, he's at his lowest price for a non-Seahawks game since 2014. He's facing the team um, that allows the most uh, fantasy points per game to wide receivers. However, his offensive coordinator is a dunce. It's Julio Jones. Uh, I expect Julio Jones to be extremely popular this week. How do you feel about him and the rest of the 7K range? So, uh, like Baldwin, love Michael Thomas's floor. Um, Michael Thomas has three red zone touches this year. And uh, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara have combined for 50 red zone touches. Um, eight of Michael Thomas's 11 career touchdowns have come on passes inside the 10-yard line. Um, so, upside's a concern. Love his floor. Um, Mike Evans is averaging like 1.8 yards uh, after catch per catch like the dude just catches the ball and falls down um, I don't want to pay 7400 for him in a tough matchup um, 
And then Brandon Cooks is my favorite in this price range. Um, I love Brandon Cooks. I will have tons of, I mean, you know, most of my money's on one team, but all of my other teams are um, going to be heavy on Brandon Cooks. And then Julio, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, we're bummed because he's done so poorly in DFS terms. He's got, like, his best game was 24 points or something. Um, but his worst games are typically 13, 14 points. So with his price dropping where where it is now, it's justifiable to pay for him and just say uh, – it's kind of like paying for Michael Thomas, right? Like, Michael Thomas, we're paying up for him because he, you know he's going to get you 14, 15 points. And – then you hope for a big game. Um, Julio, I think we can comfortably peg him at, at 13, 14 points. Um, he's averaging 9.8 targets per game across, I think it's his last six, maybe last five games, uh, which would be fourth in the NFL. So the targets are there. The matchup couldn't be better. Um, and I think that this, even if he doesn't hit in this spot, which we don't know, we can tell you that this is the best spot for wide receivers in the NFL. Um, we can't tell you when. Steve Sarkeesian will will figure things out and actually get this offense scoring points, get Julio um, the yards that he should be getting. But um, I think that you're not going to be bummed because I think he'll he'll still get you 14 or 15 points. And at this price, that's not going to kill you. Um, so I'm definitely looking for a way to fit Cooks and Julio together. I think that Cooks has the uh, the same floor as Julio. And right now, uh, a higher chance of hitting his ceiling. So I'm going Cooks over Julio in this price range. I think he's the better on-paper play. Um, same floor, same ceiling, uh, higher percentage chance of hitting his ceiling. But I really want both guys if I can get them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's some things to work out there of, of how to do that. But I do think that Julio, like, this is the best spot he's going to have. So, right, dive in and and don't miss out on the 40-point game if it comes, I guess. Yeah, uh, I think the thing for tournaments is like he's probably going to be like 30% owned or 35% owned. And um, if you think that he has a reasonable shot to only score 14 or 15, yeah, that's fine. But if you fade him in tournaments, there are certainly a lot of other options you can look at, including perhaps A.J. Green, uh, who is 300 more than Julio, probably come at significantly less ownership, or I, I guess I should, I shouldn't say significantly. I mean, I think AJ Green will be pretty owned considering it's Cleveland. People probably aren't aware of Jason McCourty. I think Julio is a significantly better play than AJ Green in this matchup. But once you start to factor in ownership, do you have any AJ Green takes? Um, so yeah, looking at ownerships, first time all week, I've looked at it. Uh, Roto Grinders has Julio pegged at 25 AJ Green pegged at 15. Um, I think I was assuming that with the uh, just with how little Julio Jones has done and with how tough value is to come by, that he would be lower owned than that. So um, no, I mean like like you said, Julio is a better play on paper. Um, AJ Green has a tough matchup. He scored a touchdown last time, but went like what five for 63. Yeah, so I think I would still prefer. Well, we've got AJ Green at 15% and Julio at 25. I'd still take Julio in that scenario. Um, but I'm taking, I mean, uh, let me see where we've got Brandon Cooks at 10%. Like Cooks is the better play. He's genuinely, genuinely the better play. I mean, target expectations the same, um, floor is the same, lack of scoring upside is the same because these guys are apparently in a big play to score. So um, I'll yeah. go Cooks first, but I'm still interested in Julio even at that ownership. Uh, two things. I think Cooks will be significantly higher owned than 10%, number one. And, and number two, um, uh, 
AJ Green didn't have a great game against the Browns last time, but they absolutely trucked the Browns. And AJ Green did almost all of his damage in the first half. Like he was on his way to a huge game uh, if the Browns could have done anything. But then again, that's a concern this week. I think the Bengals defense has a chance to really overwhelm Deshaun Kaiser uh, this week. So that would be a concern as well. Um, anything else at wide receiver we did not touch? Man, we talked about D.D. Westbrook. We talked about Kenny Stills. I mean, what more do the people want, right? I know. It's enough for the people already. Okay, let's (laughs) get to tight end. Um, Still working through my ownership projections, but I think the most popular tight end will be Jack Doyle, who is averaging over nine targets per game in his last five, I think, and is still only 4,500. Jack Doyle as chalk, are you interested or not? Uh, Jack Doyle as chalk at 11 targets, yes. Jack Doyle as chalk at seven targets, no. Um, I think it's easy to overlook how good Tennessee has been against tight ends in terms of just completion rate. Um, We see this a lot against Tennessee. Dude's getting a lot of targets and not catching a ton of them. Um, And, you know, I think it's like a 60% completion rate, which – is good to wide receivers, but tight end is like, that's like the highest percentage throw. And, um, you know, if you're getting seven targets and they're catching fall down targets and catching, you know, four of them, that's not really doing it for me. So I, I like Doyle. He's in my top five. I like Delaney Walker more. Um, Delaney has not scored this year on six red zone targets and last year he scored maybe it's eight red zone targets and last year he scored on about half of his red zone targets so uh there's definitely positive touchdown regression coming for Delaney Walker um he's getting the looks and just not scoring he's seen eight plus targets and I believe four out of five games so for 500 more I like Delaney more than I like Jack Doyle um a better player a better offense and um you know higher yardage upside but I think that uh, for me in this range, and, and really I probably won't break out of this range, it's um, it's Delaney, then Jared Cook and Jack Doyle kind of side by side, then Greg Olson with a lot of upside for Doyle, for Olson in tournaments. Um, and then if you want to go below that, I like Tyler Croft, but I'd rather these guys. Yeah, I'm concerned that coming off such a serious injury that we've seen like aggravations on that the limit Greg Olson, uh, I haven't seen anything reported like that, but um that would be my concern on Greg Olson but certainly in tournaments that makes sense I think Jared Cook is an awesome pivot off of uh Jack Doyle Jared Cook has actually leads the uh Raiders in yards uh continues to just be a huge part of their offense and when you play the Broncos even though they're certainly weakened this year um a lot of the targets get funneled inside to the tight end so uh I like Jared Cook uh Delaney you know He's always so banged up, and that's why he doesn't end up on my list. But if you think Delaney is healthy, I agree. Uh, he is pretty strong as well. And Tyler Croft, as Jay mentioned, the flow chart play, the Browns continue to just get absolutely buried um, by the tight end position. Uh, if you are willing to pay up, and I think it will be somewhat contrarian to play up this, pay up this week because of how little value there is and because the high-priced tight ends kind of failed lately. I mean, Zach Ertz failed in his last game. Rob Gronkowski failed in his last game. Travis Kelsey did play well, but Travis Kelsey is 7,300. I doubt very many people are going to play Gronk at 6,900, even though the Dolphins have been absolutely atrocious against the tight end position. And I don't think very very many people are going to play Zach Ertz either. Um, 
for a myriad of reasons. He hasn't played a good game in a while due to his hamstring injury. Um, and Jimmy Graham, I think, is in a really good spot too, or at least in a reasonable spot at 5,800. So I think there's some good plays uh, to be contrarian if you pay up at tight end. Would you agree there? And does anybody stand out to you? Yeah, I agree. I'm not on Ertz. Uh, Carson Wentz has not thrown the ball more than 31 times or more than 32 times since week two. Um, he's averaging 16 completions per game across, I think it's his last five or six games. 16 completions just doesn't leave a ton of volume uh, for PPR sites. And so Ertz could score a touchdown, but he's not going to pile up points through catches. And that concerns me at his price. Uh, I love Gronk, love Kelsey. Um, I think Gronk and Kelsey are both, both have, you know, a 20 point expectation this um, this week. So I would love to play either of them. Uh, and then again, yeah, Jimmy Graham is just seeing all the end zone work um, in the NFL. Like if you put every, every end zone target in the NFL into a bucket, like half of those targets have gone to Jimmy Graham this year. So uh, I think he's a good play week in and week out, obviously high variance because you're depending on the touchdown, but um, I think he's a strong play, not a guy I would pay up for in cash games, but um, just because if you don't get the touchdown, you're, you're in rough shape for what you paid for, but in tournaments, uh, the upside's definitely there. Yeah. He's only 800 more than Delaney Walker. Yeah, but I mean, okay, so Delaney Walker, though, is he's getting 12 to 15 points in these four straight games without scoring a touchdown, and the usage in the red zone is there. Um, not not Jimmy Graham's usage, but, I mean, Delaney Walker is fine. He's healthy right now. He's been producing, and the only reason nobody's paying attention is because uh, he hasn't scored the touchdowns. Yeah, no, that's true. He, the dude, I guess he's fallen through my crack, honestly, just because he's always on the injury report. And I think like he lives like in Hefe's building or something. Like he's got to be richer than that to live in Hefe's building. You know what I mean? Um, all right, good point. Fade Delaney Walker. Let's let's move. We picked on Hefe so much this year in his absence. Let's move on to defense. Uh, people saw what Jacksonville did last week. People saw. <laughs> what the Ravens did uh, last week. People saw what the Chargers did last week and on Thanksgiving. Uh, they are going to be hungry, I think, to pay up for defense. Uh, Jacksonville is facing Blaine Gabbert. Uh, the Eagles are facing Mitch Trubisky. The Bengals are facing Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, the Raiders, if you can stomach that, are facing Paxton Lynch. Um, I think my initial lean was the Eagles. Uh, against Trubisky, but they have such like low pass volume. Like if they can keep the game close, which I know it's unlikely, but if they do, they'll just try to run the ball in every play. And that's obviously not good for defensive scoring. So I think the Bengals and the Eagles are, are right there. And obviously the Jaguars just like somehow get there every single week. Like the Jaguars just like, oh, the Jaguars only have 10 uh, DK points right now. Uh, all right. And here's their defensive touchdown. So anything at defense that stood out to you? Yeah, I'm really not concerned about the pass game volume with um, the Bears. I mean, the Eagles have faced, I believe, 15.8 running back rush attempts per game, which is just an absurdly low number. Um, they're one of only three teams facing fewer than 20. Um, teams just cannot run on the Eagles, and the Eagles always have a lead. So um, I think we see a lot of passing. Eagles are, I believe, um, third in sacks and, and second in interceptions. Maybe I have those flipped around, but – um, but yeah, I mean, I like the Eagles defense quite a bit. I'll throw the Patriots in that bucket against Matt Moore. Um, and I just think that, you know, mistakes will be made by the Dolphins. Uh, I like all those ones you mentioned, and I'm not all those that you mentioned besides the Raiders who um, just don't force turnovers. I think they'll get their first pick this 
this week, but you know, they don't get sacks. They don't force turnovers. So um, just expectations overall are pretty low. Um, even if they get a defensive touchdown, you're probably looking at like 12 points or 14 points. So um, I'm fine skipping them. Are, are there any cheap defenses that you like? I mean, I think that the jets are viable in tournaments against the Panthers just because they do force turnovers and cam is mistake prone. I, I think that you could even make case for Cleveland um, again, they get sacks, they stop the run, they've allowed the eighth fewest yards. Andy Dalton makes some mistakes. Um, not a strong play, but if you want to pay down, that, that's all I've seen really that I can stomach. Yeah, Jets were on my list. Um, Arizona in a home game against Blake Bortles uh, was on my list, and the Falcons in a home game against Ryan Fitzpatrick, but um, you know, nothing great. And once you get up to that high kind of 2K range, then you're not that far away from perhaps the Patriots or the Eagles or something like that. So, um, yeah, I'm going to try to find a way to get up to kind of the mid 3K range, I hope, at defense. All right, the people need their stacks. Uh, they want to know who to stack up. We will give one contrarian stack, one chalky stack. Uh, why don't you go first with one of those? Yeah, I'm going to throw a contrarian stack at you. Paxton Lynch to Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders. Um, and I wouldn't mind throwing Devonte Booker onto that team. I think that they're going to, people are going to completely, completely, completely overlook Demarius and Emmanuel Sanders. Paxton Lynch is not a significant downgrade from what they've had with Simeon and Osweiler. And again, um, Musgrave is going to just scheme really easy completions to these guys. So I think, you know, Things could go totally off the rails. We're talking about Paxton Lynch, a first-round pick who just they've refused to let see the field, um, even when he's been healthy. But um, in tournaments, I mean, would it surprise any of us if, if Demarius catches eight or nine balls or if Emmanuel Sanders catches eight or nine balls? Um, and against this Raiders defense, that could go for 100, 120 yards and touchdown. So uh, I really like that in tournaments. I think it'll be really low-owned. Uh, I will give a chalk stack first, and it is Matt Ryan to Julio Jones. Um, just a really high floor, I think, in a home game against the Bucks. Like Falcons, this is the best spot they've faced all season. This is the worst pass defense they've faced all season. This is the cheapest Julio has been since 2014. And I didn't check Matt Ryan's kind of price log, but at 6,400, I mean, he's 1,300 less than Tom Brady this week. So. Uh, it would be pretty hard for me to see Ryan to Julio failing. I know some people are going to be like, oh, well, Julio got six for 80. He failed. Well, at 7,700, 7, uh, that's not really a fail for Julio. Uh, I will go with about it as chalky as you can be. Um, we've got Russ Wilson as our highest owned quarterback, uh, Doug Baldwin behind only Julio, Corey Davis, and T.Y. Hilton at wide receiver. Um, but I think that's a great pairing going Russ to Baldwin. All right, I'm going to go way off the board for my contrarian, and uh, this would be a very large field play, but it would be Tyrod to Zay Jones, assuming that both Calvin Benjamin and Jordan Matthews are out, or even if Jordan Matthews is active but will likely be limited. Um, I think that Tyrod always has big games in his pocket due to, uh, due to his legs, and with the way the Bills' defense has been playing, we could see a situation where Tyrod gets – a lot of volume uh, getting up there in the second half. And Zay Jones is just like, they do not have a lot else to throw to. Everybody is on the injury report. Kelvin, Jordan Matthews, Charles Clay, uh, and Zay Jones has played better. So uh, that would be one way off the board for me. That is I going love that call. Oh, that means a lot to me. 
Uh, <laughs> it means nothing to you, but I do love it. We uh, that is going to do it for this Thanksgiving edition. Uh, I know everybody ate their bird carcass on Thursday, and then they woke up and like had a bird carcass sandwich uh, for breakfast, and then like they washed it down with some disgusting uh, canned cranberry juice, and they celebrated uh, the genocide of the Native Americans. I hope they continue to do that uh, for the rest of uh, the weekend. For Jerry, for JM, <laughs> I am Adam. Good luck, everybody.